0: This is Mouth Media Network, the business of
1: being heard. Hi, my name is Rick Watson. I'm CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting. What I love about retail is that it's the land of the quick and the dead. You have to make decisions quickly and it's fast paced or or else you're going to get eaten by somebody else.
0: From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry.
2: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Retail is Your Business, because it is. And uh, I'm Mark Rakeau, one of your hosts. Here with me is our good friend and compadre and retail expert, Rebecca Fitz. Hi, Rebecca.
0: Hello, Mark.
2: (laughs) That may have been one of my most colorful introductions to the show. I don't know what got into me. I'm just all over the map on that one. It's the end of the day.
0: Exactly. Rick, if you must know, we do four shows in a day. And I must say the fourth one is usually the most fun. (laughs) This is the most fun. Yeah. And it's not just because we're punchy. It's just usually the most fun. That's what happens.
2: I'm really quite not sure why I don't have a drink in hand in this moment. This should be our fourth (laughs) show, Rebecca. Is there a, Rebecca, you you enjoy a cocktail from time to time, don't you?
0: Uh, From time to time, sometimes day to day. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> Rebecca, I have to ask you, I realize I'm asking you on the show in front of the world, but do you, do you have any thoughts on us making the fourth show every, every time we record a cocktail show?
0: I have one thought, which is we absolutely should do that.
2: Okay, that's going to be, in fact, we will invite our guest in the fourth interview every day, every time we record to, to invite them to be armed with a cocktail as well. So that is, that is a done deal. That is a done deal. Done and done. (laughs) Next time. Okay. Um, Anyway, uh, I would love to welcome to, so good to see you. I'd love to welcome to the show Rick Watson. Hey, Rick. Great to see you. Hi. How's it going, Mark?
1: Uh, Really great to be on the show with you and Rebecca.
2: Great. Uh, So, Rick, uh, maybe I could uh, start out here. What sort of uh, caught my eye? as as you were uh in all transparency has pulled the curtain back as you were pitched to us by a publicist um as a potential guest which is how we came to, to know of you directly um what caught my eye was uh it was really more about the grocery space uh but it really had to do with Instacart and Walmart and when I saw those two words in the same phrase it kind of piqued my interest. I said, we need to have this conversation. So tell me what that's all about and why that concept, and you can unpack why those words were in the same, same sentence related to you. Why is that a calling card for you? Yeah. So maybe I'm overstating, but
1: no, it's, it's a good question. And I think, so what I do in my business is I help uh, retailers and brand make make big decisions about how to invest their dollars and where do they make the next big moves in their history and then once they decide like here 's what we want to do and how we want to invest, then how do we go and do it and so the thing about the grocery industry that is so fascinating right now it 's um in terms of the you know let 's say the digitization of retail, if you call it uh, you know you know things like books and uh, electronics were the first things to be bought online. If you look at something like grocery, up until last year, <laughs> I don't know what happened last year. Do you guys know what happened last year?
2: Uh, I, I've heard rumors.
1: <laughs> exactly, it, it, it's a blur. Let's say that, right? Um, grocery was two to three percent penetrated online digitally, which means that only two to three percent of consumers in the United States were actually buying any groceries online. What happened across all categories was a huge acceleration in, in a 10 week period, you had about 10 weeks of digital progress, you know, particularly like April, May, June timeframe. Um, and that happened in the grocery industry as well. So most analysts are estimating that while we started the, the, um, the pandemic with two to 3% penetration online, sometimes as high as 4%, we ended in the eight to 10% range. Uh, and so why grocery is interesting, interesting to me is that it's undergoing, undergoing this massive transformation, uh, and shakeup um, in, in the players. And I think Instacart is a flashpoint in the industry for, for good or bad, uh, depending on your point of view. And I think Walmart is trying to make investments to stay ahead of things, uh, among others
2: and you know it's funny i th- well i don't know if it's funny but i think it's intriguing that uh that thanks to the investment of companies like walmart and amazon into the into the grocery space it has enabled some technological jumps that the grocery industry uh, parts of the grocery industry certainly had been lagging in the dark ages a little bit in, in some respects and these these influx of investment has enabled uh, some hopscotching ahead uh, and and putting things in place that that uh, it was sort of shocking. It wasn't integrated in properly into the the grocery field, but now it is. And thanks to uh, a pretty powerful year in the grocery business last year, uh, in in many respects, um, you know, it, it just just looks like there's a there's a lot of possibilities ahead. As the you know, it's like an age of enlightenment a little bit for the grocery <laughs> right. business, right? And as it comes alive and it says, wait a minute, why weren't we doing this all along? Let's do more of that.
1: Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think um, sometimes it takes those events to shake up companies when they realize usually a company, what what happens? You go into a planning process, your goals get 20% higher, and then you're like, what are we going to do next? We're going to do these three things. We're going to stop doing these three things. But there's no reason to shake up the norm it's like oh we'll just do a little bit more than last year uh something like the pandemic comes along or a massive change in consumer behavior uh some of which will stick uh which is the important part of this um re- makes companies realize we can't be keep doing the same things and expecting different results uh and so that necessitates change in strategy which then you know means that they need to start doing different things
0: And do you think part of this, though, is with Walmart and Instacart, I also feel like it's a little bit of the arms race between Amazon and Walmart. Um, And Walmart, I put in a little bit of a different category because I think when I think about Amazon, I get a little... um, chills, not always in a good way about how they can almost try to take over any category. And they seem to be pivoting themselves to do that. Um, and again, not always a good feeling to be really, really honest about it. Um, so, um, is there a Walmart, Instacart, Amazon X play going on as well so that they're Uh, neck and neck?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, it's it's super interesting. I think Walmart is responding to both Instacart and Amazon, um, and I think Amazon kind of led the charge. You know, they bought Whole Foods. They've been pushing people to Amazon Fresh. They've been trying to invest there. It hasn't gone quite as quickly. I mean, they've gotten some early adopters. It hasn't gone quite as quickly as everyone thought. The big uh, driving force in, the in in the industry over the past three years, I think, has really been Instacart. How much selection and convenience they've brought online for consumers in such a short time is just fascinating. And so the number one question, if you're a brand or a retailer is, what does that mean for me? How do I either take advantage of it or keep from being taken advantage of? <laughs> and, and I think from the, if you're a retailer, the big worry and threat from Instacart is they now own your customer. You know, they may be buying from you, but the company only knows, you know, the customer only knows Instacart. Like if I'm on my app, I think I'm buying from Instacart and I can choose a different grocer tomorrow if you drop out. And that's the app I'm using. And so I think Walmart is seeing what Instacart is doing. So they're investing more in advertising technology. They're seeing what Amazon is doing and they're like, "Uh uh-uh. We saw what happened with Amazon last time. It's like, we've already seen this movie two or three times before, to your point, Rebecca. And now we need to really get ahead of this if we're going to stay in the game.
0: It is so interesting. Um, you know, I don't know if it's Dish New York where all three of us are sitting, but I think it goes across the country that people are particular about their grocery store. Um, and and there's the brand play. But if you're shopping off Instacart, Instacart is the brand. Um, so I certainly see where the... And by the way, as we're talking about it, I can see the little carrot and I can see the little cart. Like the branding is, you know, bon- bonking me in the head. And I'm not an Insta, uh, Instacart user, but... Um, I know many people who are. uh, So that is also very interesting. Um, And again, we're talking grocer, but it seems like that certainly could happen even on the brand, uh, on the retail side.
2: Well, I'll I'll, I'll I'll tell you, Rebecca, I, I I also up until very recently was not an Instacart user, um, but, but not because I anything against it. It just, just wasn't something I deployed. And, I've only really used it for one reason and that is I grew up in Rochester, New York. Wegmans is my hometown. Uh, you know, a, 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 the hometown of Wegmans is Rochester. Uh it's what I grew up in. There's just certain things they offer that I want and love. And then but I live in the, at the top of Manhattan and the closest Wegmans really is uh is is Brooklyn to me. That's still a pretty good ways away. And, uh, and when I learned that I could actually get Instacart from Brooklyn Navy Yard area all the way to the top of Manhattan, I could not believe it. And it was so worth the extra little charge for Instacart to be able to order anything I want from Wegmans and have it here within a time frame I want. It completely transformed. Here's my point. I don't mean this is a commercial for Instacart, but it goes to your your point, Brick. It completely transformed my expectation and understanding of who I could have a relationship with, as a grocer or or, or as any business that delivers via Instacart. It changed, sort of, the scope of my reach, and it, so yeah. It that, also, that that that's that. Right. I think i was, all I'm saying is, is I think that there's a. Uh, There's a lot of implications to having your world widened.
0: You're still though a Wegman's fanatic, which, by the way, Rick. I don't know if you know anybody else from Rochester, but they are they are loyal (laughs) and they will give you a college dissertation on how great Wegman's is. And by the way, (laughs) Mark Mark is not the one. No, I I went out with a gentleman from Rochester. Yeah, I know, and he he would talk like it was Shakespeare about the proto section of Wegman's. um, Yes. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I don't want to disagree, but it was an interesting kind of soliloquy to have about that particular topic. So... That's all I'm saying. People are passionate about their produce. We
1: could do a whole podcast about Wegmans, maybe.
2: Brand loyalty. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's
2: it. That's a new podcast. I love Wegmans. That's right.
0: We're going down (laughs) a rabbit hole here. But um, here, though, to dish back to what we were talking about, is that you're still loyal to Wegmans, but you're using Instacart. So there the brand is winning a little bit, and it's not that you're blinded by Instacart.
2: Do you know what the truth is, though? Me, as an individual consumer... I don't feel like I'm doing business with Instacart. I feel like I'm doing business with Wegmans. Not to contrast what you were saying, Rick, this is just a unique, singular consumer opinion. I never, I I saw Instacart as a vehicle through which I reached Wegmans. As, uh, you know, but maybe I've just never really thought about the way other people are. Anyway, let me get us in the weed, sorry. No, (laughs) so
0: how how do we come back from this?
2: Okay, I'll I'll ask a question. I I was responsible for that, so I'll I'll ask a question to get us back on track. Uh, no, but I think it was relevant. My point wasn't to talk about Wegmans, it was to illustrate, you know, the fact that you know, through Instacart and, and tools like that, it's enabled brands to reach consumers they might not otherwise be able to reach, and therefore it starts to transform commerce and what it can be. Uh, the same way the existence and advent of e commerce has transformed the way commerce even happens. It's the same idea. So anyway, my, my question is, is what do you think is the next significant jump ahead uh, in the innovation of the way people might buy? We can say, talking retail generally, but we can also focus on grocery if you want um, that, the the existence of something like instacart makes possible for us to even conceive and accept
1: a new way to buy um it's a good question um look i mean on the earth retail is still retail i mean you're still buying the same way online or 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 in store i think you know the biggest innovation in the past couple of years has really just been curbside and and that adoption has really taken off to a huge degree um, and so I, I think that that's sort of been the, I mean, to me, the next innovation is stuff starts appearing in my house. I mean, that's, I I want to tell in it just, it's just beamed in, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, to me, to me, that's the, that's the big, that's the next step. Um, that's, that's what I'm expecting from Amazon.
2: So can you unpack a little bit more about the kind of work that you do with brands? Like, tell us more about in, in granular format, uh, and I don't, I don't even mean it. Like, you know, tell us what your company does, but how does the kind of work that you do enable things to happen that wouldn't otherwise be possible?
1: Yeah. So, I, I think to answer that, probably the best uh, thing to say is, what did I see happening over and over that caused me to start the company? You know, like, why do people come mm-hmm. to me? And th- there are a couple of reasons. Number one is companies perceive some kind of threat from what's going on in particular, either they've been doing the business the same way for 20 years. They have a preponderance of their, um, infrastructure built in wholesale retail stores, uh, or an existing business process in a certain way. It could be direct to consumer. It could be, um, wholesale retail, traditional channels. Um, but then something changed. New competition, new entrance, this direct consumer re- you know revo- uh, revolution, lots of new brands, and someone on the board or an investor, the first question is asked, like, why can't that be us? To me, that's the genesis of where this conversation starts from, and mm. why I started my company is the answer to that question usually is like, because X and Y, and if... E-commerce is not a new thing now. It's been around for 25 years, if we can believe it. Um, Although it still seems new every day. My, the the reason I I started my business is because if you're not taking advantage of e-commerce in the fullest extent now, there are really two reasons for that. Number one is um, you don't have the vision to understand what to do next. Like you might have some idea, but you don't have a fully formed vision for What could this be? How should we approach it? How much do we want to spend? You just don't know enough to put a plan into place. Second is, um, and it's somewhat related, we don't have the talent to make it happen. Because our people are stuck in their their ways of thinking that they are now. So Mm – What I I bring and and how I go about my business is I help people in sort of two phases of their process. Number one is you can imagine this prototypical CEO that is lobbying their board to do something new. We need to invest and grow if we're going to survive in the next five or 10 years. Finally, the board grants the audience, okay, if you're so smart, tell us what we should do. And so at that point, the CEO looks around their management team and see no, no one on the management team has ever done something like this before. What he know what he or she knows what will happen next, which is digital is going to take over everything. It was like just the conversation we're talking about. And so what I do is come in and I help build them a plan for what to do next. It's, it's really that simple. What is the financial, ret- what is the vision? What is the financial return? What is your brand trying to achieve? What customers are you trying to reach? Who are your existing customers that you. May- need to make sure not to upset. You know, channel conflict is a huge part of. And reason for companies not changing. And so helping them build a plan for what next and what financial results in particular, they should expect from these investments that they will have to make. So that's sort of step one. And then step two is once this prototypical board comes back to the CEO, then what happens is that she is, looks around and is like, okay, how do I do this? And so I can help there as well. You know, then I can bring in a team to basically assist them with the planning and execution and delivering of the outcomes that their board now expects.
0: So interesting so, by the way, because I is. work for a startup where I hear we're only two and a half years old, so we hear about the board um frequently and what they're asking for. Um and because I work for one of the founders, you know, the conversation is pretty robust. It's beyond, we had a board meeting. You still have a job. You're welcome. It's more, uh, you know, (laughs) this, this is some of the stuff that's coming down the pike. How do we think about it? Um, and I certainly don't always, you know, have the answers. So I think it's interesting one where CEOs go and, and two, when boards are asking, um, where, where might they go? It's not their job necessarily, but, um, uh, it, it that piece of it is, is really interesting, as well as kind of what are the next steps? Like, how do I get to the, the end game or whatever I'm supposed to deliver on?
2: Have you taken a look at StoryDot yet? Every brand and every product has a story to tell. And you can't successfully sell that brand or product without telling the story. StoryDot delivers your story wherever you want it to be heard. You can meet your customers at each point in their journey, connecting the dots between your business and the consumer to enhance engagement, experience, and conversion. I encourage you to take a look at StoryDot at StoryDot.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-D-O-T.com. Rick, what do you say to what do you say to a board or a CEO or whoever that says, "Look, I want to be open-minded here, but you know, in 2020 overall in the retail mar- market, you know, 80, 85% of retail sales were still through brick and mortar, not through e- e-commerce. It's growing, but we still have a very strong st- I want to wait until this is something that I see as, you know, 30, 50%, and then I'm willing to let go of some of our commitments to our brick and mortar instead of investing that money in growing the e-commerce side of things. Um, so I'm not saying never, I'm just saying I'm not yet convinced that this is the moment we must throw our you know our our our, uh, our treasure at this right now. Um how do you how do you address that thing? Yeah, so I, I think I think history is a
1: useful guide because it gives you insight into what can happen to a space. So I I think if you look across the board, e-commerce is now in many categories, um, 50 to 60% of retail, you know, if you look at, um, you know, fashion, if you look at technology, you know, things like that, they're obviously lagging categories and they're absolutely leading categories to that. And so I think. If you look at where you know, consumer preferences are, what is the? to me, you always look to the young people. And where are people spending their time? You know, on this phone. They're staring at the phone 24-7, and they expect every experience to be like this. And so if you're expecting someone to walk into a store without engaging them digitally, then you're living in a different world than what the next generation is living in. Uh, and so... I would say it's a typical attitude to where someone from, let's say, Barnes and Noble had 15 years ago. Oh, Amazon, this is just a tech. This is they're selling books, but they don't. What do they know about books? Jeff Bezos was a banker, you know. He was a. We're pran- big. We're guy.
2: untouchable.
1: Yeah, exactly. What do we care? We have all these stores across America. These guys don't have any stores. How are you going to find out about Amazon? Nobody, nobody knows who they are. The other ones are like Bed Bath and Beyond. I mean, now they're going through restructuring and shedding a lot of assets and reorganizing, but for years and years, like what's happening there? And Amazon has been eating their lunch for years and years and in, in, in stealing their market share. And so I think, you know, the short answer is, look, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. And so you you have to convince people that are willing to listen. And so um, I, I don't, I don't have a hard sell for anyone really. It's, it's my, just like, look around what's happening and could this happen to your industry and not. And then as a, as a company, as a CEO, as a board, you have to make a judgment over like, what are the trend lines pointing? And that's what I kind of like to look at. If you're at, even if that's at your say, if you're at 30% online penetration today, is that going to 60% in five years? You know, if so, how quickly is it going to take you to respond to that? And who is taking the share of that 30% that is going to be gone in, in five years? Is that you or is, your, or is that your competition?
0: What are your thoughts on SAC separating out and having its own separate online, which I, I could guess the answer, but I'd love to hear your thoughts.
1: I think it's, um, I was very surprised by that. <laughs> I I, I think (laughs) it's very strange is, is the short answer. Um, and I, I believe like we went from the world of, there were e-commerce only companies and then there were retailers that started e-commerce divisions, but there were, they, those people didn't talk to each other. And then the omni-channel revolution happened and it like, we're through it. It's over. (laughs) And now Saks is going back in the other direction. doesn't add up.
0: Agreed, agreed, and I mean I don't think they're in the same kind of startup structure where there's a board and a CEO. But would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the the short answer is why they did it. I think it's pretty clear. The right. investor yeah, so, uh, multiples on dot com are extremely mm-hmm. high. The investment mm-hmm. multiples on retail are, you know, one to one. So. The investors are uh, instead of the inmates running the asylum asylum, it's the investors who are running the asylum, uh is is the short answer to your question.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and the almighty dollar kind of made the decision. And and e-com is going up. So in some of it, it's like, okay, this this does actually make sense. Um but it is interesting. Like, are they a matches fashion and matches, you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of, they're, they're still themselves and there's still a lot of square footage attached to who they are as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see.
2: No, a little sure. pivot, a little pivot, Rick. I, I want to ask you, you know, you, you, you've had, uh, you have, and have had some notable clients, uh, fortunately and my question is is you know everybody always wants to know especially as they're coming up in the ranks gosh how does someone get a, an iconic name like that as a client what's been the path to getting the attention of a of a, a significant brand that gets you in that door you know, if, if you're not already, and, and I don't want to undersell your reputation, but if you're not already sort of a, a recognized personality across an industry to the point that everybody knows your name, um, how are you going to get in that door? How do you, how have you told such a compelling story that you've been able to, to meet with those board members or those CEOs?
1: Yeah, I, I think the short story is it takes time. You know, none none of it happens overnight. And I think you need to start where you are. And so I would not encourage anyone to try to jump jump rungs on a ladder if I'm gonna you know, use a ladder metaphor here for a second. You can only be where you are and you need to be excited and happy about serving the clients that you can serve based on where you are, whether you're a consultant or a service provider like Rebecca or or whoever you are. You you are where you are for a reason, and if you Mm -hmm. can make those clients happy, then word gets around. That's the great thing about retail. Retail is so Mm. small. It's such an insular community. People go from company to company, and if you have patience, which some people don't do, if you have patience and you have a good reputation and you keep up relationships, you will get new clients as your allies go to new companies. Um, They will say like, oh, I worked with so-and-so at the last company. And once that happens two, three, four, five times, your goal doesn't necessarily have to be, I need to conquer the world. Like To me, that's a bad goal. Your goal should be to make your current set of clients super happy so that when the final phone call comes after that pitch, they're going to go back to one of your clients and not at at the time you, you have them set up. Now they are gonna text them or whatever because all these people know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the Illuminati or something. I don't know what it is. <laughs>
0: no, no, I say this exact same thing, and I've been in a couple little buckets. So if you're in like fashion or retail PR, it's the size of a pin. Everybody knows each other. The people on yep. the, the print side, or if that even when that existed in the digital side, all know the other people on this side. And then you know, I kind of thought, oh well, I'm graduating. I'm into real retail real estate. The size of the top of the pin <laughs> is still very, very small. We all know each other. So if you've tripped up, you know, somebody's going to know about it, whether no matter how you tried to, oh, you know, yeah. change it. So, um, it's good. It keeps everybody on their best behavior, I think, but it is, it is a small, small, um, world. By the way, that was, you know, whoever's listening to this, that's kind of beautiful, um, BD advice, particularly whether you're on a big BD team or you are the BD team. So um, very much appreciated because a lot of times you do think, why isn't, I don't know, whoever you're chosen, why isn't Target my client? Um, And it probably is, well, it's maybe just a matter of time. Yeah.
1: I think your references are your gold to me in, in any of these industries, particularly with the bigger clients um it's very hard for an outsider to pitch a big client and get a get a gig it just it just doesn't work that way um you having successes in the only way to have that kind of success is to have previous successes with clients like them because the bigger the client the more they protect themselves from people they don't know people they don't trust um because the downside risk is too high for making a mistake Uh, and, and so to me, that's, that's the big thing. And I think that's why I've been able to have success is having been in an industry for 20 years as an operator, um, and you have to have some trust in your reputation really is, is the bottom line. And, and that, you know, if you're, if you're in an echo chamber or the head of the pen, as Rebecca says, you know, they can just walk across the room and say like, Hey, do you know, like what's, what's Rebecca like to work with? Uh, it's Sorry. like, oh, you know, that's how it was.
2: She's a dream, by the way, <laughs> just, just letting you know,
0: <laughs> I might, I might have to list you next time, Mark, uh,
2: <laughs> list away, list away. Well, thank you for that answer, Rick. That was really, uh, not just, uh, insightful, but I think important for people to hear. so uh, we don't hear that message very often. That's really no, We great. do not. What would you like to be able to do with a brand if they would let you? Maybe something you either get resistance for, or too often they're not willing to assign enough budget to. But if you had your way, they said, "Here's a blank check. We're totally on board. What do you think we should do? What would you What would you want the power to be able to do? Um,
1: look, it's not. It's not too much. Uh, it's not so much power. I would say it is. Really starting them on a process of learning. It's about learning about their customer. And to mm-hmm. me, that's where it starts from. It starts at the customer. And step one is really help them learn about their customer, define mm-hmm. a vision for where they see the gaps in the market, and then how do we go after it? And so that's usually something that isn't always widely known within a brand. And so let's first of all, like let's crystallize that first. What does the customer want? Why do they want it? And where are the trend lines pointing for your customer? Second is what's the offer? Like, why do you matter? How are you differentiated? And how are you gonna take advantage of those trends that your customer is seeing, but your company has not yet taken advantage of? So Mm -hmm. step two is really kind of, step one is, is really working what the customer wants. Step two is really define what the offer is and why it's different and unique. Uh, and price effective and like whatever the attributes are you need. Then third is what are the capabilities that you need to learn how to do to deliver that result? Um, and so then it, it's really about capability, um, discovery in many many cases for a brand, they don't want to know what they don't know. So I think that is, you know, a partial answer to yeah. your question. They might say like, oh, yeah, um, the, the biggest myth about e-commerce is it's about building websites. That's like the last thing you should do is build website. Right. the
0: website.
1: First, the first thing you should do is probably for like figure out what products you want to sell, which a lot of people start building a website before they learn what they're going to sell or how they're yes. going to ship it. Yep. Like what happens when you get a sale? Oh, we didn't think about that. So That's I the, think the, the capability question is is super important because you're thinking through the cus- – what, what is the customer going to do when you they interact with you, number one? And then two is internally as a company, how are you going to serve the cus- customer? What are your processes and what are the organization that you need to be in place to hmm. learn
2: to serve the customer well? Fascinating. And so right. I think about – product that i've been been involved with designing in recent months that you know as we started building a website we thought we understood our product but it was only through building the website that we realized we didn't understand our product <laughs> enough we had to like go back and rethink it which resulted in more website design. I don't know that we approached it irresponsibly, but the process of building the flow made us rethink what we were doing. But honestly, if we had been able to or had the insight to think that through differently ahead of doing that, we would have probably not lost as much time, maybe spent a little less money, certainly less frustration, maybe for the developer most of all, and uh, (laughs) as we undid their work. But um, let me ask you, what, uh, Rick, And I think one of the things you
1: mentioned there is is kind of resonates with me because when people come to me, one of the first things they say is, we could do it ourselves, but it's going to take us a few years. Like if you could save us a year or two, it's worth it. And we will make less mistakes. It's going to cost less. And it's going to be a better outcome than if we are going to stumble through it ourselves.
2: Yep. Yep
0: agility to market for sure. I I agree. And I think there are a lot of companies who are looking like that, like we could build it. It'd take a while. Um, It's a little bit like the Ford versus Ferrari story.
2: Of course. And by the time you build it, that other company that built it two years ago is onto something else right now that they're thinking about that you're going to be thinking about. You're able to finally do two years from now, once you finally, you know, made your money back on what you've been investing to in build that you should have built two years ago, <laughs> right? You know, I mean, I know it's easier said than done, and there's a lot of buy-ins and funding that have to come through, and you know, you're stuck with whatever infrastructure you have, but uh, but there is value and courage. the The people we celebrate are the ones that had the courage to make the leap, for sure. Speaking of making the leap, I'm sort of interested. I don't mean to put you on the spot, honestly, and if you don't have an answer for that, that's fine. What is out there right now that you've been able to spot with your ear to the ground that's sort of an up and coming innovation or technology that may be one of the next kind of exciting things and very likely in the not too distant future, it might even be one of the tools you start bringing to brands, maybe once it's fully launched or once it's gotten through its beta or, you know, what's on your radar?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that um, is on my radar is is live stream commerce. Um, I think it's an interesting opportunity. And what, what's happened in, in China is celebrities and many different brands are making hundreds of billions of dollars a year with essentially what has become the new generation of QVC for the mobile generation. That's kind of the way to describe it. And it seems like an old thing, but it's a new thing with new tech and you can get stuff tomorrow rather than in three weeks and pay a lot for shipping. (laughs) So, um, that that's to me, that's the genesis of it. And you see these big companies like Facebook, Amazon, Facebook in particular, but Amazon and Google are investing in their e-commerce capabilities and not just to be able to buy on their website, but to be able to buy from influencers and celebrities directly from some kind of mm-hmm. interactive, engaging format.
2: Do you see clickable video playing a role in that being integrated into that uh, live commerce aspect?
1: I do. I, I think you're going to be able to buy uh, from a from a YouTube. I think you're going to be able to buy from even a conversation that you're having uh, with with someone mm. directly without leaving. And the and the key is. You're not just going off to a website. You're doing it within the experience without having to do anything special. You could just, it may even be acted by voice. Like, hey, do you want to buy this for $40? And I say, yeah, but how about $35? And if you say yes, start shipping to me. Like, why couldn't that happen? Um, I think the intersection of, you know, live stream commerce and, the, and I think the, ne- the generation after that will even be voice um, powered because they all know who you are because you're on the stream and your credit card is on file.
2: You know, one of the things we've heard people talk about on this show and other shows has been things such as, such as digital fashion. Uh, the ability of actually, we're so close to it technologically, for me to be renting an Armani suit that's like a $5,000 suit, and I could rent it for a day and wear it convincingly on my live stream and have people the ability to click on my suit and rent it themselves let's say because i wore it best um uh or rent very interactive exciting virtual backgrounds you know um that may even feature celebrities or influencers interacting with me as a part of that digital background or there's just there's just so many possibilities of what what can be happening. Do, have you, have you had any insights as to the potential of those types of things being also rolled into the live commerce conversation?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And Instagram has been investing a lot in their influencer tools. And so on behalf of brands, I mean, in, influencers are a huge part of marketing now, um, particularly in social and the tools for Influencers to take assets from brands and repurpose them in a personalized, engaging way that's sort of authentic to whatever brand the influencer has, but then pulls in the, you know, whatever product they're, they're trying to sell. Um, I think is super interesting, and it kind of speaks exactly to what you're talking about, where you know the way that I would sell an Armani suit would be different than the way you're sell you would sell an Armani suit, and we both could mm. sell the same suit differently. Uh, and to different audiences, even that we might have access to.
2: Who would wear a best, Rick? That's uh, really the question. I, I everybody's you, wondering.
1: I, I think you. I oh, you. I understand. don't know about
2: that. I think you have a Armani suit shape probably more than I do. But anyway, uh,
0: <laughs> has the world come full circle? Is QVC the the grandfather or grandmother of this? I,
1: I think I think it is. I don't necessarily believe that it will be a dominant form of commerce. But I've had I've done some analysis in in the past that in about five years this could be a forty billion dollar opportunity in in the U S which it, which is a big number you know it's about a third of the size of Amazon's marketplace in the U S which mm-hmm. is a big
2: number <laughs> yeah it is so. Yeah. Hashtag investment opportunity. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, it's so interesting. I mean, you know, we—I work for you know mm-hmm. some of the brands that are on Leap are smaller, but certainly something we did during the pandemic and will continue to do. Um, and I was just saying, I didn't, um, I didn't use it yet because I'm more of a physical or online. But it was very effective. We're just concierge appointments, uh, so you could be in the store; it's closed, but you mm. could be. Still selling clothing, and people would go mm. in on a video call for a personal concierge appointment and they would buy things. um So it's interesting. I am chuckling a little bit. I don't know if either one of you watched the um, HBO documentary on influencers, but once you do, it'll be hard to get some of the things that are in there out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I highly recommend it, is all I'm going to say. And not yeah. in a bad okay. way, but like. I'm not a- uh, you know, I've not I, heard
2: of that. Actually,
0: I could fall into this category uh, because you know I'm on Instagram. It's funny we had somebody um, on, and it, it was her and I. The whole show confessing. Oh, I hope my husband's not listening, but I just bought this off of Instagram. That was
2: the-
0: <laughs> and Mark yes. was in between trying to actually put it together. A like, show. I'll be
2: back in an hour. Yeah,
0: exactly, <laughs> um, but. Right. Um, you know, uh, funny things like uh, when you see somebody jet setting on a plane, and you really should watch the documentary, I'm sorry the name is that, um, that they actually take a toilet seat, and that is the window, and there's something behind it that looks like they're on a jet, and that's the, the influencer. But uh, let me tell you, I fall for this stuff all the time. Even in the pandemic, you're like, who's this guy who's on this that's jet great. going somewhere? Is this
2: fake famous? Yeah. Is that the name of the – Yes,
1: prob- probably, Th- yes. 30 minutes uh, later, you're like, what? where did the afternoon go?
0: right exactly. exactly exactly and i probably I bought something i mean it's right. all uh, you know
2: well you know the the thing is is the the pandemic has certainly uh separated the you know the girls from the women and the men from the boys in the influencer community and rooted out a lot of ineffective influencers uh and and hopefully they'll maybe what's left in that community is uh is going to have a lot more power for brands. a lot of brands have wasted a lot of money not because influencers or is bad, but because uh they just didn't have engaged communities or couldn't deliver uh, so you know there's a lot of questions before the pandemic of you know is the influencer age you know is it about to transform or coming to an end and and I'm wondering if this may actually give it new life um you know, quality over quantity, if you will. Right. Yeah. No, that, that, I think that's definitely the case. All right. So uh, looking ahead at the future, as we've ended on a futuristic note there, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk a little less about uh, the uh, Instacarts and the Walmarts and the Wegmans and the influencers of the world and much more about a gentleman named Rick Watson right after this. Culture starts at the top, and great customer experience,
0: the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing.
2: The One Thing, customer experience from the top, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found. All right, Rick, this is the part of the show we all love where we get to know you more as a human being. Uh, I know the last time we recorded, I just commandeered the first slot here and and asked my question. I want to... I want to just bow to Ms. Rebecca Fitz and allow her the opportunity and the pleasure of leading the way.
0: Uh, This is always a good icebreaker. I'm stealing from from other (laughs) shows, but I think it's always fascinating. Um, So all three of us are sitting in New York right now. Um, Rick, are you a native New Yorker? And if not, where do you hail from?
1: Ah, I am not (laughs) a native New Yorker. <laughs> um, although I think I've crossed the threshold of time
0: <laughs> me, I've been here too for, I've been here for
1: ten years <laughs> okay and mm-hmm. uh, I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana oh
2: ah.
0: wow okay, yeah,
2: what a different place that's, that is to live than almost from. anywhere else
0: and i I hope you're rooting for them. I feel that New Orleans is uh, kind of always has been fighting for uh, lots of things uh through the years so. They deserve yeah. some
1: love. No, it's, it's, it's a great place to be from. It's one of those communities where if you, if you love the city, it loves you right back, and you cannot help but have a great time when you're down there.
2: I have a confession to make. I've actually never been to New Orleans. I just, I've wanted to go and just for whatever reason just never ended up coming down there, but I, I would definitely, definitely love to. When I go to New Orleans, uh, assuming that such a place is still open at that time, <laughs> where do I need to go? Mr. Hometown Hero. Where, yeah, where, there, where?
1: There's so many places.
2: What's your secret, your secret recommendation?
1: Yeah. It's so funny. It's like I have, I, I, my, my, so my family still lives down there. So I always, when I go, when I go back home, they, they always bring me to the spots because the spots change all the time. Right. There's, right. there's the okay. big places that everyone knows, like brunch at Commander's Palace is like the standard answer to your question, which yeah. is like you do not miss brunch, at, a jazz brunch at Commander's Palace, which is okay. phenomenal.
2: Just part of what which you is do. It's a great,
1: right? great place to be. Um, anywhere, you know, Commander's Palace is in the Warehouse District. You can go up and down. You can go uptown from there and see lots of historic homes, um, and just interesting restaurants. You can go uh, kind of uptown a little bit, to our know, downtown a little bit toward the French Quarter, uh, walk along the river, which is super unique and interesting. Uh, You see a lot of historic French and Spanish influence. Um, New Orleans is one of the only places on earth that I know that you can stand on a street corner in New Orleans and hear like five different live jazz clubs within earshot. Like literally while you're standing on the corner, it just doesn't happen in very many cities. Amazing.
2: I. <laughs> I too have been by the way. That is an experience. Yeah, exactly. That, I that loved is all something those I'd love recommendations. to recommendations. Yeah. I guess Rick, the last question I'd like to ask you is: How can people connect with you? How can they find out how they can be the next, uh, the next center of your attention?
1: Yeah. So um, probably my website is the easiest way to get in touch with me. Um, that's rmwcommerce.com. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. I post you know, almost every day uh, about trends that are happening in retail and e-commerce, whether it's marketplaces or direct-to-consumer or business-to-business or Instacart as our conversation yeah. this morning. Yeah. I posted this morning literally about Instacart and Walmart. Um, and uh, so if you just search for Rick Watson e-commerce, I, I will come up. I promise you. Uh, that's another way to get in touch with me.
2: Great. All right. Well, uh, Rick Watson, we're sure uh, appreciative uh, of you joining us. It was a really interesting, varied, multi level conversation and exact way I like them. So uh, thanks a lot. Thank
1: you, Mark. Thanks, Rebecca. Right. Thank you.
2: Well, that is it for this episode of Retail is Your Business. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We'll see you next week with another great guest, another great story, and a lot of insights. But until then, for Rebecca Fitz.
0: Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening.
2: Thank you, Rebecca. I'm Mark Rico. Have a great day, everybody.
0: Bye-bye. This has been Retail is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Audio
2: for business.